Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this segment on CIO Talk Network. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show as hashtag machines and hashtag workforce. Topic for today is, are we ready for a hybrid workforce? And I have with me uh, Mary Ellis and Shiriko, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer with Henry Ford Health System. Hello, Mary Ellis. Good morning, Good morning, Sanjo. Uh, good morning fine. to Thank you. you. Great. And, and we also have Greg Simpson, who's the Chief Technology Officer at Synchrony Financial. Hi, Greg. How are you? Good morning. Great. Great to have you both. Now, this is a rather interesting topic. We have been talking about things we deal in an organization, assuming that it's going to always be comprised of humans. But guess what? We are moving into an era where we will be inviting machines or robots. And we have been doing that to some extent, but not perhaps someone who's sitting beside you typing away or doing other tasks as a workforce. So, so with this unique uh, area which what we are dealing with, what we wanted to explore is that is, is an organization's DNA, the way we think about an organization today, the way the, the workers work with their co-workers, has that to be fundamentally rethought or what has to change in order for us to incorporate this hybrid workforce that is an impending structure of an organization? So that said, the first question I'd like to pose, Mary Ellis, for you is this is no longer a science fiction. So would you say that the, the hybrid workforce models in in an in a office setting, if you will, maybe in the shop floor we have seen, but are there any examples or, or thoughts uh, that are going around in terms of actually introducing this, or this is more of a futuristic topic in your view? It's not at all futuristic, uh, Sanjo. It is literally the reality uh, within the healthcare segment that I will represent. Uh, healthcare for, for time in memoriam has been information-driven, but as we begin to look at machines and uh, robots in that workspace, it really does free us up to use the power of those analytic capabilities in a way that improves our outcomes and our quality, whether that is in the office setting or in the clinical setting. Uh, there are evidences of machine learning as well as uh, robotic activity in healthcare that really have begun to predominate some of that space. Uh, a couple of those examples could include our robotic surgeries today. We are utilizing a cooperative relationship with machines uh, to be able to improve performance, reduce surgical times, and uh, improve the outcomes of care to our patients. It's also uh, evidenced in the areas of uh, our telemedicine environment, where we're actually using machines to connect people and patients in events of care and to improve the communication as well as the availability and the uh, uh, accuracy of information that gets shared. So based on Mary Ellis, uh, what you shared, uh, Greg, I'll come to you. Do you think the, the use cases that were defined by Mary Ellis, that, are they more where machine does do a job, does provide an aid to the humans, but they are more like, okay, so you are doers, we will tell you what to do, versus you having brains, which you expect in a fellow human being otherwise? Yeah, no, I, I don't think, I think the humans still have to have a brain. I think the... Uh... You know, a great example, you know, Mary Ellen talked about all the, the data-driven outcomes. If you look at our world today, people are carrying sensors in their pockets. They're wearing sensors on their wrists that talk about their gait, their heart rate, their, you know, we, we, soon people have contact lenses that will tell their blood sugar rates. So there's going to be a huge amount of data. And to think that a doctor can come into an, you know, can see a patient for a few seconds and, you know, look at their throat and listen to their heart rate and can make it a good diagnosis without taking into account all this data that's available to them. You know, as we, as we map the genome, the ability to compare 
large populations of people that, with similar genetic characteristics and how they react to different drugs and use that information to make the best diagnosis, uh, diagnosis possible is, is really uh, required. Uh, you know, hospitals or doctors that don't do that won't be able to compete, won't have the same types of outcomes as those that leverage that uh, cognitive force that can process huge amounts of data that a human can't. Uh, so I think it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a cooperative, hybrid workforce approach. I think the doctor's still there. I think the bedside manner is still important. I think the uh, emotional intelligence is still important, and the doctor needs to use their brain to assess all the information that the uh, intelligent assistant has and make the final conclusion. So that is the state today. Uh, Mary Ellis, if, if we were to think about the machines, which to this extent, the examples you gave and what Greg gave, are primarily where uh, the human still uh, has, the, has the proud ownership of emotional intelligence and the relatability to another human. Are we looking at bringing robots into the picture or machines into the picture where they become not a competitor, but a true co-worker where they are actually thinking. We are using AI, but we are talking about, like in your case, healthcare. Could you have a robotic nurse who could actually nurture a patient? The, I, I think it is a, a hybrid, as uh, Greg was describing, Sanjay. The element of human intervention and relationship building, as well as that trust factor with our uh, our consumers is really being driven by technology. It's it's enabled by technology, but it's not uh, replacing the workforce in that element. What Greg was describing, and with which I agree, making data more available, moving that data to knowledge, enables human members of the workforce uh, to to think more logically, to reduce the duplicative efforts, to reduce and eliminate non-value added opportunity so that the relationship with a consumer is improved because we spend that time in the relationship, developing it, actually understanding it, and using data to move more efficiently through a process that uh, enables engagement as well as uh, transparency. Today in our environment, we are moving from uh, influence-driven decisions to those that are data-driven that create insights to let us know beyond where we are. What Greg was describing in terms of the capacity of machines to mobilize huge volumes of data to get us to the point that we are able to work with our consumers and make precision decisions rather than decisions based on guesstimations has been a profound opportunity to blend the environment of robotics, analytics, and human behavior. But, however, at the same time, there are uh, robots that exist in our environment that help us in uh, supply chain management and movement across corpora corporations that help us reduce the frequency of purchasing, the frequency of distribution, and enable us not to have redundant inventories that cost money, and in healthcare that equates to the bottom line uh, uh, transfer of that cost to our consumer. But the more that we can create efficiency by having mechanical, repetitive, and sequential uh, robotic activity, it enables us to have an order of higher thinking where we're actually using the outcomes of data to predict and to um, improve efficiencies across our, our uh, work environments. So as, as both of you have responded to a number of questions I asked, it looks like still the mindset is where a robot is the best, the best use case for introducing a robot or, or a humanoid, if that's what I have to call it, someone who's even possessing the, the artificial intelligence is primarily as an aid where you will be freed up from repetitive, repetitive tasks versus intelligent tasks also being delegated. So, Greg, are we not moving in that direction consciously? Because on, on, like, th this conversation could have been very relevant, the way the responses we had so far, suppose even 10 years ago, because even then the robots were being used, but they were used primarily to take care of the repeti uh, repetitive tasks, but not for 
you know, the intelligent uh, sitting side by side to another human and, and solving problems which require you to have emotions, some complex decision making, etc. So, so are, we, are we still living that 10 years old uh, approach to how we should see this, this uh, robotic side of things or are we ready to invite a robot to sit beside us uh, at a desk and literally work next to us who has a speech related capabilities with thinking related capabilities and even in some cases emotional sensing related capabilities. Greg. I think the whole concept of sitting at a desk is, is something that's going to go away. If you look at how, you know, a lot of the, you know, we, people always talk about how the millennials interact. They don't want to call each other on the phone. They text or they Snapchat or they, they communicate uh, electronically via their smartphone. That actually enables a robot to communicate to them very easily as well because robots are much better when they've got you know, the ability to interact via text. There's less, there's less uh, emotional content because people are entering shorter messages in and they're looking for shorter responses back. So you know, if you think of the Turing test, I can see a robot starting to become more human-like in the sense that it can, it can, it can respond. It can do those sorts of uh, simple responses uh, textually. I, I don't think it's a matter of the, of the robot sitting at the desk. I think it's a matter of the robot providing the human with greater intelligence, really. It's, it's a matter of the intelligence of the robot is now available to the human instantly. And, and is that a, you know, a neural uh, interface that enables us to have that sort of augmented uh, artificial intelligence that allows the human to then continue to grow and, and do uh, greater things, better things, as opposed to sort of, you know, you know, sitting next door to the robot and the two of us working side by side, I think it's more of an interaction. And uh, the evolution will be, because I think, you know, that's partly our own desire. We want the human race to, to grow and be better and stronger. We don't want to be supplanted. So how do we, how do we cooperate in a way that makes the uh, uh, situation better for all of us? So, so your response kind of says that human, of course, by design, wants to be in control. And we are not yielding control, truly, but we are inviting a different type of a capability in a, in a physical form to be able to provide an aid. So, so Mary Ellis, would you think it's realistic and or is it advisable or is that how leadership in different organizations thinking to get those human-like robots to come out of those science fairs? and from those CNN news features into an office where they are sitting beside you. And, of course, they are, they are not going to celebrate a birthday party. I'm not sure. But they at least will be able to provide some good quality work, which does not only mean instruction-based, but it also includes thinking-based output. Boy, I, it, again, in the environment, those capabilities exist, and we do coexist today. And let me give you a few examples. The robotic nature of uh, Watson, the IBM Watson, and or the other analytic tools that we are currently using in our environment are helping us to standardize the process, which is, of course, what leadership wants, uh, consolidating the resource utilization to achieve outcomes, and uh, the, the whole idea of being able to move data from big data to smaller data is assisted by robotic technology today. We are utilizing it in uh, so many ways. As Greg mentioned, the millennials are helping to change the dynamic and really spur the innovation and the free spirit decision-making that uh, they have used as uh, uh, an, uh, a component part of our, our society today. They're very, very technology-savvy. They love working with uh, uh, data-driven uh, technology. I think about 80% of our uh, millennials are using smartphones. They're using them for fitness and health. They're using them to align choices. They are very, very social. And although a machine is not social, it can be instructed to and provide uh, excellent outcomes in terms of options. 
which, uh, again, uh, is really very important to our millennial generation. But at the same time, millennials are very, very risk-adverse. So if you are thinking about uh, a human being subservient to a machine, that tends not to be the the likelihood of our uh, current future. So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, let's look at the human side. So you already made a good point, Mary Alice, where we would not want to be managed by uh, a robot or someone, a machine, basically. But then still, because of their presence, certain tasks are being taken by robots. They're able to do it better. There's, there could almost be like an envy and or a threat perceived by humans whenever somebody is there to take their bread away. That's where we we can focus when we come back. So listeners, please stay tuned and see what is the imminent threat that's perceived by humans because of these robots who are doing more and more of what humans used to do earlier. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Mary Ellis, we are talking about humans typically getting even threatened when somebody uh, outwits them or, or starts taking their bread away. And, and machines are, in a way, or they could be perceived as a threat. And any type of threat, when the outsourcing came, people had that issue. When these robots are coming, maybe they are still being seen in a limited capacity, but we plan to scale them as a business. What is the mindset or culture that you are attempting to develop so that when you do hit, well, do do hit your pedal uh, on the metal, that means going full throttle, these humans who you are trying to help do not become the resistance force. Absolutely. Thank you. I have experience in outsourcing, so I, I think that's a very relevant uh, uh, corner to the question, uh, Sanjo. I honestly believe that we will evolve uh, as a culture and our behaviors will demonstrate that we take cues from uh, environments in which which we trust. Uh, In a patient relationship, uh, as we're seeing in our our experience, sometimes our patients are more forthcoming in sharing information on electronic surveys than they are in talking with the human. They, They have a trust factor in in providing objective information that could be useful in that interaction, uh, more so than in the human experience. So we're beginning to see an evolution that moves us toward uh, uh, a shared responsibility, and yet the human element, that that position that leaders need to take to help their members of their workforce move in that direction, Leadership engagement is really the the preemptor to uh, help radiate down a sense of uh, inclusion, uh, innovative spirit, the idea that we evolve as a as a culture by making change happen, and that change has to be purposeful and process driven. Once we in, begin engaging members of our workforce who may feel threatened by the uh, approach of technology taking over their jobs or robots as you're describing them taking over portions of their jobs, the the real enticement for individuals to feel safe and secure and engaged is to 
invite them into the conversation about what does that strategy look like as we move forward and what role-based responsibilities will evolve or what will you be enabled to do that is more of a, a higher thinking order uh, responsibility and relationship within your, your work environment. And then how do we begin engaging in skill skills development and analytic skills so that the critical thinking that has been used by deductive reasoning in the past now is replaced with a higher order of analytic thinking and utilizing insights to manage and predict uh, uh, future behaviors. I think that, again, it's incumbent on leaders to lead with the stylistic uh, empowerment and not being afraid to be transparent and embrace change and then help the members of the workforce do that same. So, Greg, you, you, I'm sure you remember when we did start this whole outsourcing phenomena and corporates are not socialists by, by design, right? Because they are profit motivated. Right. And the time to value has to be reduced whenever you see an opportunity to cut costs. So, the, the speed at which the adoption happened for outsourcing or things were tried, maybe they were too fast or the way the way were, they were handled. There was some ugliness before. Now things are settling, but I'm sure there were a lot of job losses and, and grief we saw along the way. And, and that could get repeated to some extent, but the goal should be to minimize, right? Because we, in this case, we are not offloading job to another human we are essentially trying to have humans do less of the things which a robot can do so that these people can do more. But people do not develop skills overnight either, or new skills. So you have to give time. How do you, how do you stop a corporate from being, and I'm, I'm not going to be on a soapbox, but I'm saying the corporate wants to do the things which they want to do, and they are right in their own way. How do you control this? Well, I, I think... It's not about the corporation. It's about the individuals that work for the corporation. They have to be uh, aware of the changes that are going on and be able to continually think about how to adapt and grow their skills to fit into the new world. I mean, a simple example that's in the press a lot right now is the advent of the autonomous car. It's not here yet, but it will be here. We will have autonomous self-driving vehicles in the future. Uh, what If you're a truck driver you probably shouldn't be trying to convince your kid to be a truck driver because truck drivers are going to be replaced with self-driving cars. That's just a reality that we have to understand. We've got some time, so that means we have to think about what roles make sense and how we're going to uh, you know, live in that world when, when uh, some of these new technologies come out. There are certain jobs that will be automated and removed from, uh, that humans won't be able to compete with. Um, you know, if you look at, at the same time, there are cases where humans were replaced and now they're back in vogue. I mean, you know, ATMs replaced tellers, you know, starting in the 60s. But there are a lot of banks that are trying to advertise, hey, we're a, we're a relationship organization. Come in and talk to us. And the teller's job has evolved to be much more than just uh, cashing your check and handing out some money, but they're there to help you with your financials. Uh, an interesting example I saw recently was a small entrepreneur who uh, is a front end to essentially a robo-advising service. You can go onto your mobile phone and invest your money with a, a robo-advisor that will you know, do a diversified portfolio for you of your, of your money across a number of ETFs. A lot of people aren't comfortable punching that, the, their credentials into that mobile phone and having all that money go off and be uh, managed by that robot. So this person said, hey, I'll just do a, I'll provide the human interface and I'll help people understand what, what they're going to get. And then I'll punch the numbers in <laughs> to the robo-advisor and let the robo-advisor do it. And they'll see, the, the consumer will see a much better return because the fees that they would pay are much lower than they would pay to a traditional advisor. Um, so in that case, that's a transitional job where people have to get comfortable with that robot but at the same time, there's a, there's a red flag for the financial advisory community to say they've got to adapt and grow and change their value proposition or, or they'll be replaced. I think, I think the key is to understand how the economic model changes for the business. And it, and it has to be 
understood by, at the employee level because the corporations, will, we know what the corporations will do. They'll maximize their profit, maximize their efficiency. And, and so the humans have to be the ones that are, the employees have to be the ones that are thinking about how do I adapt and grow and change. IT employees do this all the time because we're in a world that, that's constantly changing. Technology is changing all the time. If, if, if IT employees aren't adapting their skills, they will become obsolete quickly in a world where the technology changes every day. No, what you went, okay, go ahead. Uh, uh, Mary Alice, you had a thought. Thank you. I did just, and I would also say too that uh, the market, the market drivers, as you were describing with the financial institutions, is really uh, broadly uh, able to be demonstrated across industries, and that that in my space of the hospitals, healthcare systems, and patient engagement, uh, our organizations are looking at how we incentivize and use uh, technologies to engage in a highly uh, uh, managed uh, patient population that so many of them are consumers are really wanting to analyze their own data and how do we provide them the richness of the tools so that they stay engaged with us. And that's the survivorship across our industries, whether it's marketing, uh, healthcare, business and industry, the automotives as as Greg was describing, are all factor, factors that need to be realized uh, as we move forward with uh, advancing technology and the replacement of less valued uh, functions that, that exist today in our workforce. No, yeah, in I, both I, cases, yeah, go ahead, Greg. I, I saw a TV commercial the other day for an insurance company, and it was all about their mobile app. So it, it wasn't about their quality, their insurance, or their capabilities, or their agents. It was all about their mobile app. So people were, they decided it was worth them to spend the money on a commercial to talk about how great their mobile app, because they said, they decided that that was a key factor in people's decision-making. Yeah. They said, gee, I'm looking for the company that's best mobile app, because I'm not going to deal with an insurance agent anymore. I, <laughs> I'm going to use an app. And, and so that's an important part of my decision-making process. And so, so, I mean, that sort of, uh, shift in people's mindsets is is very important to understand because it changes how companies work and and what they value. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and let's compare the knowledge worker versus the industrial worker. So there are certain techniques or ways you would try to set expectation for a knowledge worker so that they retool themselves and move on. But think about a hamburger chain where somebody's just learned how to flip burgers and or to be at the counter. And I was just tweeted by uh, my editor uh, an article where they showed a big hamburger chain having someone with a smiley face robot handing over the burger to the individual. Now, this individual who otherwise was placed there had that as a source of livelihood. And because of this minimum wage and other type of constraints, organizations, corporations are going to go this route. And how much time are going to are, are they going to provide to this person who otherwise was thinking to take their kids to college by flipping hamburgers? We don't know. So what is the future for that human versus a future for someone who is a programmer or does something else like data analysis or actuarial or insurance agent in this case? What would be the change in the mindset that we will have to have in the change in strategy to take care of both of them because both of them are important and both of them are humans yeah. so that we don't forget it. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network.
You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So I've given an example to set the stage about someone who is a knowledge worker versus an industrial, and especially for industrial workers who do not have many, many things as they know, just like flipping burgers at a hamburger chain. What is the retooling prospect of someone like that? And that too, that quickly, because they could very quickly be replaced by someone uh, like a robot or, or, or non-human, if you will. What is the plan? What's the ivory tower thinking? Are they oblivious yeah. to what this is? I think there's uh, a number of opportunities for humans to uh, compete with the robots because absolutely a robot can flip the burgers. The thing, uh, a simple example in today's world is we have a very uh, a rapidly aging population. We have more and more people in rest homes. Uh, they could use a lot of services um, where they're high-touch uh, human interaction EQ services. Um, Another example where that's already happening is, you know, we spent years and years optimizing our agricultural industry with genetically modified crops and highly automated uh, harvesting techniques that allowed us to produce large quantities of food with fewer and fewer and fewer farmers. And today, people are paying a premium for the locally sourced organic free-range chicken and the and the vegetables out of the out of the garden that were uh, hand cut and uh, tr- not treated with any chemicals. So, so there are cases where people do really want something other than the uh, robotic, efficient experience. Uh, people pay a premium to go to a restaurant where they've got really great service uh, from humans. And so I think there are opportunities for people to really change the game and, and make the, the way they serve and the service they provide differentiate them from the robot um, and then they won't be replaced uh, because people people will want that. People still want that human interaction, and and there's value to that. And and that's the one thing the human can't, or the robot can't do is provide true human interaction. Are you suggesting, Greg, that we will move from Wall Street back to the Main Street? Is that how um, you think the evolution is going to happen? With the way you described it. In some industries, yeah, I think I think there will be some cases where we do. Go back to a main street. Go back to the small shop owner. We see that today in a lot of urban uh, areas or small uh, entrepreneurial shops are coming up where people are providing a unique dining experience, for example. And people want to go there versus people don't want to go to McDonald's and get their robot hamburger. They want to go to this little shop that's unique, that has food that's created by humans. And every time they go, it's a little bit different because it's not perfectly standardized. There are certain experiences we don't want highly standardized. The, the, the thing you value about McDonald's is no matter where you go in the world, you know exactly what it tastes like. It tastes exactly the same everywhere you go. Sometimes people want to go to a restaurant where it tastes different every time they go, and that encourages them to go more often because it's an experience every time. So I think there's experiential desires. I think we see that in the way millennials uh, spend their money. They're more interested in spending their money on experiences rather than uh, physical material goods. And I think uh, we've got to think about taking our workers and figuring out how to apply them into more experiential tasks or more service-oriented tasks that require high human touch. So what you just said, it brings up an important point. So, Marielis, do you think, I mean, of course, I, I personally am not thinking here that Wall Street will get wiped out and, and, and they will coexist with the Main Street. Right. And that means corporations will be there. So, Mary Alice, in your view, given that corporation where you know we have industrial workers and or knowledge workers, what kind of job profiles that we need to be able to create so that humans and robots both will have their own place without really annihilating the other? Thank you. Uh, I, great provocative uh, conversation so far uh, on the fact that I do agree our knowledge worker and the industries around which they thrive will continue. Uh, the industrial worker that may be compromised by simple repetitive tasks being taken over by uh, uh, a, a robot and or by technologies that make decision-making so aligned that that type of work is no longer needed are great examples of 
uh, role-based responsibilities that need to change within our societies. And it really is incumbent on us as uh, a, a human society to take a look at getting back to some of those basics. Our, today we are driven by consumption. As a society, we are driven by the sequelae to, to consumption. It's the obesity. It's the poverty, uh, the debt, the uh, inability to align and stay focused on family, the, the family s- circuit, the, in the neighborhood environments. And so it creates for us an opportunity to say, let's step back and look at what are the work experiences that we as as uh, states, as communities, and as neighborhoods, what are those services that can be provided that would create work for members of a disenfranchised um, uh, blue-collar uh, environment to, to need to find work? Uh, and so much of it can be found in our uh, uh, aging cities, the work that needs to be done to look at, redefine the connectedness, the human interaction roles and responsibilities, the fact that we have uh, deficits of education and uh, uh, real opportunity for employment, for engagement uh, across our our environments. I think our opportunities, I'm, I'm talking to myself here now, are real opportunities for us to step back and get into a, a basic framework of what other work that is not being done should we be responsible and accountable for educating and supporting in uh, these diminishing job areas. So the leaders listening to this show, they definitely belong. Many, most of them would belong to a corporate. And so, Greg, when we wear that hat, you still have a responsibility towards the corporation while, of course, taking care of humans because we are human too. What should be the mindset and what is the mindset and, and what, how are they looking at tackling the different issues that we, we brought up today? Uh, you know, I think the human potential gets better when we can remove some of the unnecessary distractions in the workplace today. We have highly talented people that are doing very low-level tasks often because there's so much to do and there's so much data coming in and there's so much information. And so there's a lot of time in their day where they're spent just trying to manage that flow of information. And, and the amount of time they spend on their really, really great highest value uh, output is diminishing. And I think the power of cognitive computing and robots is to free up people's time so that they can be more creative, so that the spark of invention isn't just instilled in a few, but it's available to more and more people because they have the time to uh, expand that part of their mind and to do things other than the, the rote tasks that, that hit them. It's, this isn't just the blue-collar worker. This is the, the white-collar worker today is inundated with information that needs to be filtered through, whether it's email or, or data, or they've, they, they do a lot of work to take all that information in and, and get to the point where they can actually apply their mind creatively to that uh, input and come to conclusions. That's the great part of their work is when they actually get a chance to apply their mind to it. And today, the amount of work they, get, they have to do to get to that point is, is growing. So I think the automation of the robots will help us give back time to people so that they can think creatively, they can think intelligently and deeply, and they can start to draw different influ- inferences, and they can spend more time with relationships, uh, and they can relate better and drive uh, improvements in their corporation that way. So I think um, the, the, the role of cognitive computing is to help us maximize our potential, not to eliminate us. In the utilitarian approach, most corporations go that route, right? So if you today have a robot or you have an assistant, it doesn't suddenly give you 20% free time to think. You make the time or you bring a robot or any assistance, they will find work for you to do because we think in a utilitarian model. So Mary Alice, 
I will, I will come back to you with this question after the break, is, is this a problem what we are creating or is this question, the discussion we are having is basically because we don't either trust the, the model, the utilitarian thinking of the corporations or we do not know how to create that free, uh, the, the freedom or the breathing room for someone to become creative and, and we end up putting more on their plate when we find some, some free time or, or some breathing room. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Mary Ellis, how can we get corporates who primarily are there to make profits through all the efforts that's been put in and to get out of the utilitarian model and purposely create the breathing room, which Greg referred to, as part of any inclusion of support, which was earlier in form of assistance, but now in form of machines. Yes. Thank you, uh, Sanjo. I, I, I have a number of thoughts about this. I believe that the current corporate environment really is fraught with lots of turbulence and rework, that the mindset of leadership in trying to promote profitability in the corporation uh, needs to also be very sensitive to the fact that we as a society need to stay focused on a vision. And if we need to repaint that vision over time in order to stay competitive, marketable, and um, uh, financially successful, we're going to need to create the framework of clarity of purpose within our organizations. At the same time, though, the those that are in knowledge work environments uh, have to be held accountable and responsible for the work that they do. And once it is enabled by uh, data so that we can make informed decisions, we need to have a uh, an algorithm of what success looks like at every level, at every level. And we need to encourage uh, uh, workers to own the responsibility and then to leverage data to help make better decisions and to look for ways and opportunities for improving the process, reducing the non-value-added tasks, and to think very boldly about what does that improvement process look like. Many organizations, uh, like the one in which I uh, work, uh, change annually. They change the focus annually to continue to uh, improve and move closer and closer to those goals rather than to manage the framework and structure of the organization uh, that is making decisions. Uh, it, gets, it gets more and more focused on an annual basis so that we can empower our teams to look and think creatively. Um, as Greg mentioned earlier, uh, the opportunity for organizations to have an invention think tank that penetrates the all levels of the organization for good ideas to surface and for those ideas to be uh, valued as active uh, uh, opportunities for the organization to think differently about work as well as uh, their outcomes. And it helps us challenge our own critical thinking in a way that uh, we need to continuously improve. So I think the, uh, the competitive nature of the environments in which we work and this mindset of accountability and responsibility will continue to drive us more toward um, 
analytic thinking, the uh, inferences made by uh, insights that data can enable us to know, and how then do we work together in partnership relationships across the work streams of our corporations to support one another and to improve the the overall integrity of uh, data as we are continuing to use and become reliant on. So, Greg, let me put a situation in front of you. Tell me how we would handle it. A single mother with two kids working as a receptionist at a large corporate, you are trying to bring machines into play. What would be a good growth path or a, or a shift that we will do for that individual who is adding value to the organization and who will have the brains to be able to go and learn something with the limited time she has and the other obligations she has? What would you be your plan for her with the advent of machines coming beside her and perhaps potentially threatening her to take away her job? We, I would want the machine to uh, really take away some of her mundane tasks and help her to then be creative with how she can be more uh, of the emotional engagement front for the humans that want to interact with that company. So as a receptionist, instead of just answering the phone and providing hours, you know, we've sort of done that already with like IVR systems. You call and you don't actually get a person. You get, here's the press one for the hours, press two for this, press three for that. But uh, there are times when people really need to talk to a human and they really want that. So I think you'd, you'd be looking for where is that most valuable and how can you free up her time to do those tasks that add, that add value to the corporation. Uh, you could provide her with a different, you know, different, you could try to provide her with job training where she could start to handle some uh, other types of roles in the organization. Um, I think, you know, in, in many cases, that receptionist job could go away if, if it's not, if that organization doesn't need that personal uh, touch. But in many organizations, that personal touch is coming back into vogue and it's highly valued. And so if you can free up her time, from the mundane things, she can spend more time doing personal touch. Maybe she needs to reach out to customers and call customers and check on them and see how they're doing uh, versus waiting for them to show up at the front door. And, then, and so she can build a better relationship and provide stickiness that will encourage people to come back to that company because their receptionist has a relationship with them. Uh, so I think there's still value in human touch, and we need to try to cultivate that. And I have a couple of thoughts as well. I think... Um, where Greg was going with the idea of reaching out is truly one of the mindsets that people need not fear as they begin realizing that many of their job responsibilities are being taken over by some mechanical mechanism that is supposed to be aligned to create more efficiency. But people who are fearful of job loss or job opportunity loss really need to be looking at their peers. What are their peers doing that's different from what they're doing, and uh, volunteer for new work, for being on task forces, just to get engaged, to uh, be identified as someone who thinks outside of their own sphere of influence on a day-to-day basis, and not to be bound by tradition, that the idea that you have a uh, a woman who is uh, a, an active and good worker who also has soci- socio sociological responsibilities as well as family responsibilities uh, doesn't have a a huge amount of time, but uh, the opportunity for them to look at even online education, what are the opportunities that exist within the community, or how can they enrich the pool of opportunity within their corporations is really very unbounded. That is has been the direction in the last 10 years of how members of the workforce who are being displaced by technology uh, need to behave, they need to act, and they need to trust instincts that will help move them in a new and more empowered uh, uh, direction. And now, the, this sooner a- the, leadership can, the sooner the leadership can establish that direction in terms of the workforce strategy, the sooner the employees can start to plan for that change and really make that uh, shift. Good point. And so one last question for you, Mary Ellis. Um, if you were to share like one or two 
pointers to the senior management who are supposed to actually help uh, envision and then manifest these changes so that we become ready. What would be your message and appeal to them? How should they start thinking differently? Because even they're not prepared. Truly, they're not. You know, we don't know, uh, as human beings, we stay complacent uh, where we are until we get challenged to think differently. But I I would recommend uh, a, a few things. I think that we need to truly own our responsibility to help members of our workforce grow and change. I think that we need to be authentic in our approach, and it's speaking early, speaking often, and bearing in mind that we don't have all of the answers and how to explore with those people who will be affected by change. Uh, what What is their thinking? What are the ideas that they can come up with? How do they continue to add value to an environment that is changing so uh, so dramatically for some. Uh, and then based on that change, how do they embrace the change and really uh, identify based on their experiences what other experiences can be learned from that. Uh, but I think leadership also needs to then be decisive and start taking action. Uh, as was described, taking a look at... Uh, 30 seconds, uh, Mary Ellis. Okay, taking a look at uh, what needs to change and then how do they incorporate their their teams in making that change happen. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, uh, Greg and uh, Mary Alice, for sharing your thoughts on this the, this new change, rather unprecedented, of one of a kind, and how organizations and the leadership would work together to make it happen and do it in such a way which caused least damage and most positive outcome. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed rather different conversation, but very valuable points. We are seeing the the hybrid workforce impending. And so get ready. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Network, and be be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your stock show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.